Let us pray. King of kings, give us courage to serve you before all others. Hold me up, God, that I might lift you up. Amen. Today's reading is from the book of Revelation. It's in the first chapter, and it consists of a greeting and um, a a proclamation and a couple of amens. So I'm going to ask y'all to participate in the reading. And when I lift my hands like this, you say amen. All right? Hear now the word of God. Grace and peace to you from the one who is and who was and is coming. And from the seven spirits that are before God's throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from among the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To the one who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood. Who made us a kingdom, priest to his God and father. To him be glory and power forever and always. Look, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, including those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. This is so. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, the one who is and was and is coming, the Almighty. This is the word of God. (laughs) It's a little confusing, sorry. (laughs) It's all good. Someone wrote in my yearbook, my senior year of high school, that my theme song should be John Mellencamp's I Fight Authority, Authority Always Wins. Yeah, I didn't realize how transparent I was, actually. Recently, I've been exploring the Enneagram which some of you may have heard of. It is a centuries-old personality type indicator. And it's a study of nine basic types of people. Over the Thanksgiving holiday, everyone in my family worked to figure out what type they were. It was a lot of fun and enlightening. I'm currently vacillating between two types because both of them describe me fairly well, so I can't quite settle on just one. But according to one of the types... It says that as a child, I was likely to have a tendency to become anti-authoritarian and rebellious. When my mother heard that, she laughed out loud. So I guess I've got to own it. I've always struggled to some extent with authority. But I also think, or at least I wonder, if it's not partially cultural. I mean, we as Americans, we have a tendency to resist authority, it seems like to me. I mean, we claim as one of our high values, individuality and autonomy. We claim things like we are the masters of our own fate. We hold as one of our highest ideals that we, that we would rule ourselves, that we would answer to no one. Well, today is Christ the King Sunday. It's the last Sunday of the Christian calendar, a calendar which begins again every single year next Sunday, which is the first Sunday of Advent. And Advent is that season in which we anticipate and prepare for the arrival of Jesus the Christ. We anticipate and we prepare for the Messiah, for the Savior of the world, for the birth of the divine into the world, into our hearts and lives. 
And then we spend the whole rest of the liturgical year processing that, taking a spiritual journey, trying to understand more deeply what exactly that means. And then when the cycle is complete, we come back to Christ the King Sunday where we hope that each year we're able to more fully claim Christ as the true king of our lives. Christ's full reign is anticipated in his second coming, but we as Christians, we're called to live into his reign right now, in the present, each and every day, as we claim Jesus as Lord of lords and King of kings, as we follow him, as we practice his teachings and keep his commandments, especially the greatest commandment, the one to love neighbor or to love God and to love neighbor with all our hearts, that means that whatever additional commitments we may have, commitments to family, to work, to social groups, to relationships, maybe to political parties, whatever it is that we feel beholden to, our primary commitment is to be who Jesus calls us to be and to do what Jesus asks, to love as Jesus demonstrated in his living and especially in his dying which of course is a whole lot easier said than done, because sometimes faithfully following Jesus can put strain on our other commitments. In 1931, an organization calling themselves the German Christians was formed. The German Christians supported Nazi ideals and they worked to win elections for those in Nazi leadership and they were quite successful. In January of 1933, the Nazi regime assumed political power and Adolf Hitler was appointed chancellor. And we're all familiar with Nazi thought and ideals and with the horrifying history that would begin to unfold under Hitler's leadership. Well, this was a particularly dangerous time for any who would oppose German government a government that during that period of time placed great emphasis on blind and unwavering obedience to leaders who were appointed from above. Nevertheless, in May of 1934, as tensions continued to build, to build leading up to World War II, there was a group of pastors who opposed the theology of the German evangelical church which was formed by the German Christians and which supported Hitler's political ideals of anti-Semitism and extreme nationalism. Well, these pastors, they came together and they met in a confessing church synod in Barmen, Germany. And there, at great personal risk themselves, they fought the reigning authority. They stood up to it by denouncing both the German evangelical church and its leadership's support of Hitler and the Nazi-sanctioned dogma of the time. And they did this by writing and proclaiming publicly what is now known as the Barman Declaration or the Theological Declaration of Barman. In this document, they declared, among other things, this. We reject the false doctrine as though the church in human arrogance could place the word and work of the Lord in service of any arbitrarily chosen desires, purposes, and plans. 
On the contrary, the Declaration proclaims that the church, quote, is solely Christ's property, not to be perverted by the state to support their political agenda, and that it lives and wants to live solely from his, that is Jesus's, comfort and from his direction in the expectation of his appearance. So rejecting domestication of the word in the church, the declaration points to the inalienable lordship of Jesus Christ by the Spirit. One of the chief authors of the Barman Declaration was Karl Barth. He was a Swiss Reformed theologian who's now regarded by many as one of the greatest Protestant theologians of the 20th century. At that time, he was a professor at the University of Bonn in Germany. Well, he was forced to resign his professorship and return to Switzerland in 1935 because he refused to swear an oath to Hitler. Compared to the fate of some later theologians who opposed Hitler and the Nazi regime, that was really a pretty light penance. Still, theologians of the time who remained primarily committed to the lordship of Jesus Christ, they just could not abide the use of scripture for the purpose of oppression or persecution. During times of slavery here in America, a similar thing occurred. Slave owners would use scripture to oppress their slaves by quoting things like Ephesians 6, 5, which says, Slaves, obey your masters with fear and trembling. There were those who during that time also stood in opposition to these practices, some of them at great personal risk. Even the slaves, the slaves themselves, also leaning on scripture, they would proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and King because to do so simultaneously denied the lordship of their masters. It was an, an act of subversion and it gave them hope. It gave them some sense of freedom even as they remained in shackles. Well, the author of the book of Revelation, called John, he also opposed the governing authority of his time and place. He opposed Roman rule, especially its imposition of religious practices that were antithetical to Christian religious practices. In Rome at the time that John recounts his incredible visions to the seven churches that he's addressing in this letter. At that time, it was not safe for Christians who would freely proclaim their faith in Jesus Christ. At the time, all religions were allowed. None of them were illegal, but in addition to any commitments that an individual had to their primary or their claimed religion, it was also a requirement that all persons participate in the religious rites that honored the Roman gods. And it was also true at that time that the emperor of Rome claimed status as a deity, and he insisted on being addressed as Lord. Now, this posed a, hu this posed a huge problem for both Jews and Christians because to submit to any of these Roman rites or to claim the emperor as their Lord was an act of idolatry. Now, the Jews at that time had an agreement with the Roman government that protected them. They were exempt from any practices that violated their own religion, at least, and for a time, the early Christians were protected by that same rule because early Jewish Christians 
were not distinguished from uh, Jews who did not follow Christ. But as Jewish Christians began to become more and more autonomous and less identified with the Jewish community, Christians became more and more persecuted. Those who refused to honor the Roman gods or address the emperor as Lord and acknowledge him as a deity, those who claimed instead Jesus Christ as Lord and King, many of them lost their jobs, lost their livelihood, they lost their homes or their property. Some of them lost their lives. In any time and place, there is a whole lot that competes for our loyalty. There is much that attempts to capture our commitment. Meanwhile, oftentimes the notion of proclaiming anything or anyone, even Christ as our Lord and King, can seem somehow oppressive. We, we resist it. But here's the deal. The truth is, at least as I see it, none of us is free. We all submit to something or someone. We are all bound, or at least we're tempted to be bound by something, whether it's our jobs, whether it's certain relationships or the expectations of others. Maybe we're bound by addiction to some substance or behavior. Maybe it's a political affiliation or a social injustice that we seek to right. Whatever other kings in our lives would lord over us, do we seek first to give honor and glory to faithfully follow Jesus Christ? Do we seek first the one who we claim to be King of Kings and Lord of Lords? We had a baptism in the early service, and it was a perfect illustration of how we as Christians gather around these waters, these waters abundant with grace. And in our baptism, in our profession of faith, claim Jesus as Lord of Lords and King of Kings, the one who would free us from all else that would bind us. I was wondering, when did Black Friday become Black Friday week? <laughs> and when did we suddenly discover or find um, Cyber Monday? When did that start? I mean, apparently we are a nation of very obedient servants who are ruled by consumerism. I mean, as we enter into the Advent season, it's, it's easy, I think, to find ourselves enslaved by the trappings of a commercial Christmas. You know, I think I've decided that we should fight authority. I think we should fight authority, especially all the competing authorities that would try to dissuade us from the one true authority. I think we should fight all authorities that try to displace the one who is our ultimate authority, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. I mean, as much as we Americans would like to think so, or as much as I would like to think so, we're not free. 
but we are free to choose to whom or to what we will submit. When we dispel the illusion that we're free and choose Christ as our king, we claim the only true freedom there is. Throughout the book of Revelation, its author, John, insists again and again and again that the vision he's received from Jesus Christ through the angel repeats that no matter what, no matter what would compete for our loyalty, we are to worship God alone. Because there is no rest in all else that would lord authority over our lives. All these other competing authorities do nothing but wear us out with their demands. But in Jesus Christ, when we serve him, there is rest and there is full life. We gain the freedom to live truly in love and in full communion with God through Jesus. During this time of Thanksgiving and as we lean into Advent, when we wait for and anticipate the coming of the one who is our true king, I thank God for the one who is and who was and who is coming, the one who is always and already present with and for us. I call us all to give thanks for the coming one, the one in whom we have true freedom even as we claim him as our king. Along with John, I would say, come, Lord Jesus, come. And all the people said, amen. amen.